A Nefarious Nightmare is a true crime podcast focusing on lesser-known crimes and crimes against those deemed extra vulnerable. Every now and then, we cover more well-known crimes due to the fact that it is relevant or even interesting regarding the cases we cover. And the B is a symbol for all victims as we recognize their strength, resilience, and vulnerability. So join us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about any podcast platform. Remember, when you mess with the bees, you get the hive. The Social Detective is an independent podcast. It is for educational and awareness only. Some of the information is based on our opinion, as we will state in the podcast. Information can be triggering to some individuals, so please listen wisely. My brother Jimmy, you know, he was a young guy. In 1988, he died suddenly of a heart problem that they didn't know he had. He was two years younger than me. It just uh, it changed everything. I've only had a couple of times in my life when I was carefree, like a period of a couple of years when I thought, you know what, I don't have really any responsibilities. I'm making enough money. I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm seeing these these here, these chicks here, and those over there. You know, whatever it was. For a couple of years, I felt okay, which is very rare for me. And then he died, and I've never trusted happiness since. I have to really force myself to think that things are going to be okay in terms of worrying about my family or myself or what are my friends, whatever. Yeah, I've never been the same since my brother died. There's a melancholy in me that never goes away. I'm 50% happy and 50% sad at any given moment. And the only advice I can give people for when you lose someone uh, like that is you won't ever get over it. And the more you know that and embrace it, the better off you are. I don't want to forget my brother, and I don't want to forget what it felt like when he died because he deserves it. That's how important he was to me. So if I have to suffer and if I have to be sad for the rest of my life and if I have to be lonely without him, without his particular thing, his sense of humor and what he brought to life, then uh, that's the way I honor him. You know, I'll be sad and melancholy about that forever and I know it and I accept it and I live with it. But I think it's okay. I think it's okay to have all those feelings. And as an artist, that's where that's where a lot of your stuff comes from. You keep honoring those people forever by singing that song or writing that movie or doing that part in the movie or writing a book or whatever it is that has a sadness and a melancholy and a fear in it. Those are the things that keep them alive, whatever you put into your work or your family or your art. That's Billy Bob Thornton talking about the loss of his brother during Masterclass. And we're going to have the resources where you can watch that video and you can see him sharing the loss of his brother and how hard it hit him. Hey guys, it's Marianne, Dog Mom Baker, True Crime Podcast Maker. And we're back with another episode of The Social Detective. And... If you follow my social media, you might have noticed I've been a little fiery lately. I know, I know, 
that's unusual. I'm the sweet little lady who supports all of my fellow podcasters out there. I support the victims' families. And that's why I've gotten so fiery. Everyone knows that since I started this podcast, and the only reason I started this podcast is I felt like the case of my friend, Krista Martin, wasn't getting out there. I just felt like nothing was being done. I was feeling very frustrated, especially after I had received a medical diagnosis and prognosis that wasn't the best. And when you see something like that, it really changes your perspective on life and how things go. I do also want to say that a victim has more than just a family. A victim also has other loved ones, especially a person as amazing as Krista Martin. I've shared with so many people the amazing stories of Krista. Krista was an amazing human being. When somebody had posted on my timeline when I had shared that we needed to find justice for Krista. And it was a person that we had attended classes with, a person that was within our social group. And that person had posted, oh, wow, she was murdered? Huh, when did that happen? Yes, it struck a chord within me. When reporter Jared Sorello back in 2009 had asked people to come forward and speak on Krista Martin's behalf, there were so many people who said they didn't even know who she was. Somebody who had special moments with Krista as somebody who saw what an amazing human being, artist, cat lover she was to see people say things like I don't know who that was oh she was murdered when did that happen I hope you understand that I could not allow that to go without saying something without wanting to scream out Somebody should not be murdered in Wichita, Kansas, and people to say, oh, that happened? Huh, that's, that's odd, didn't know about it. I want you to understand that, to me, that was so hurtful and wrong, and I understand you have your own hurt, but I hope you understand I carry mine too. And I want her to have justice. And I will do anything to make sure that happens. I will always try to be respectful of the families. The first and foremost thing is to get justice for the victims.
Okay, that being said. Oh, big breath. Today's case is something that I, I had that I was going to speak out on on the anniversary of this case, but this family is incredible. This family has done so much on this case. The law enforcement community does so much in keeping this case alive and does so much on making sure that this case is going to get answers that I was like, well, you don't really need me saying anything. My platform isn't large enough because you guys are working and you guys are making it happen that there is no need for me to add any more to this because man, y'all got it going on. But then something happened here on the 7th that affected family, the community, and so many others. And I'm sorry, I'm a little shaky because yeah, I'm, st I'm still affected by the anger because we don't hurt the families. And, and again, I apologize for how it affected Chris's family, but I will always endeavor to work and do what I can. So I want to talk about the case of Carol Sullins. And we're going to get into the case a little bit more. But as you guys have seen and you've heard about the BTK task force, and I know I've gotten into it here and there. and. I, I've tried to stay out of it, but every time it comes across one of the family members that I work with, when it comes across a case we've already been working with families or we've already been working on, well, then it becomes a problem. Because when I hear from friends or families or loved ones that this has impacted them, their ability to eat, their ability to sleep. And I hear these stories about how something that somebody is doing isn't being done for a positive reason and it's actually creating a problem for that case. It affects me deeply. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about what I came across, and I guess there is a podcast out there called Surviving the Survivors. They have a big following, kudos for you. And Carrie Rawson and some of her other BTK task force people, I guess, have already been on it, so it's too late to do any damage control. But they had gone on it and had thrown the case of Carol Sullins from Galena, Kansas, as one of the cases that they had for some crazy reason that they had thought, oh, okay, this is a possible case that Dennis Rader had a part of. And I'm not quite sure why Carrie Rawson or any of the other BTK task members would think that. Because in 2001, a person had taken a plea deal 
on this case. He's not wrongly convicted by any means. Everything lines up with this case and what happened. They just don't know where her body is. That hasn't been affirmed. And the law enforcement community there is doing everything they can to find her body and to bring her home. Just because they got that plea deal, just because they got that information, where I have seen a lot of law enforcement go, you know what, we got our guy, he's in prison, that's it is, you know, end of the day, dust ourselves off and say, we got the guy, we, we you know, end of the day, we're done. They didn't do that. They continue and the media continues to meet on her birthday and try to find her every year without stop. So why this task force chose her case to do this and then to throw her face up there and to make sure that they put up there what she did for a living in an unfavorable light is beyond me. So yeah, it, it, it's made me fairly angry. It's disgusting. It's disrespectful to the families. You guys cannot do this and then walk away. You can't do this and then block the people who speak out against you and just go on your merry way and cherry pick more victims. You can't do that. It's wrong. You have got to understand that what you are doing is morally wrong, right? Carrie, I am speaking to you. Trust me, you don't know me personally. But if anybody truly understands a traumatic childhood, it's me. If someone truly understands looking straight into the eyes of an evil person, it's me. You can't do this. You can't do this and use your childhood as a justification to do this to other people. You can't do this. It's wrong. You're hurting families. If you want to pursue this, I am requesting a few things. Number one, rename your task force. The BTK task force in the first place is a slap in the face to Detective Landwehr, who gave his life to pursuing your father who murdered multiple people around the Wichita, Kansas area to those families, to the other 
families who were affected by that. Every time you expose us to the moniker that your father chose, not the media, not the law enforcement, he chose that name. We had thought once he was imprisoned, we only had to hear the name Dennis Rader. Now we are back. And every time you guys throw that out there, you are ripping the wounds back open to all of us in the Kansas area over and over and over again. You think people are angry at you. We're not angry at you. We're angry at the trauma that you are creating for us. You were on one side of it. We were on the other. We grew up in it too. We went to those funerals. Prior to throwing out, telling people to look at all of these barns across the Kansas area, what you're doing is you're encouraging people to go out there with drones and cars and all of this driving around dirt roads. You're creating a problem. You're basically encouraging people to violate private property. You gotta see that's wrong, right? You gotta see that you need to probably have somebody take a look at that and have somebody from the law enforcement community in Kansas, in Kansas, because you're talking about our state, not Oklahoma. You need to have somebody from Kansas reassess what you are out there saying, because what you are doing is you are having somebody from Oklahoma micromanaging what our law enforcement has worked damn hard on here in Kansas. Now, as much as what I might say about these cases in Kansas, I always reach out to the investigators. So my question for you is, have you reached out to the investigators? Far from what I've seen is with this task force, you're negating those years of what those detectives did on their BTK task force when they finally caught and arrested your father. When they put in the time and the days and they didn't go home and see their families. And some of those officers are still here today and they're still active. Can you imagine how this feels for them? How you're negating everything that they've done. Yeah, I have my personal frustrations with Wichita Police Department on Krista's case. What you've done is you've gathered a team of celebrity true crime sleuths. You guys are going to CrimeCon. You're charging tickets. You're selling books. It's not the best optics for advocacy. You're doing these YouTube interviews, these news interviews, and you're slapping victims' faces on these cases. Now, 
I, I've not once seen on any of these where the victim's families have been involved. I have seen threads where your task force members are congratulating each other that you're part of this elite team where you're giving off mean girl vibes of nobody else can come sit with us because we're the best of the best. And then you're making these derisive comments and you're talking or Sheriff Verdon and other members are talking about which hat you want to wear to a press conference. The optics that this is giving off when there are advocates out here talking about victims' cases that are involved with what you're supposed to be talking about. On top of that, you're, there is another video where you're slapping pictures of Dennis Rader's fantasies and saying, do you know this girl? Do you know this girl? Or maybe somebody else made that video and they used those pictures that you released. Can you imagine how traumatic that is? How hurtful that is? All the while, there are these discussions about television programs and if that's your ultimate goal you know I I won't stop anybody from achieving their dreams if this is all due to what your dream is and what you want don't step on victims to get there because those people who then are just carting you to your dream they're just true crime enthusiasts, but they're not the families. If your dream is to truly solve a true crime case, if that is truly what your dream is, to get justice for a victim and to solve a true crime case, that's not my dream. My dream is not to solve a true crime case. I will let everybody know that right now. That is not my dream. My dream is to see the cold case unit of the Wichita Police Department give us answers on Krista's case. Because it is not my job to solve Krista's case. It's my job to remember Krista Martin. It's not my job to solve her case. It's theirs. It's my job to remind them that she's still here. So if anybody thinks that I'm doing any of this to solve a case, if any of you are out there as podcasters and it's your dream to solve a cold case, let me tell you, you are advocating wrong. It's the investigator's job to solve the cases. It's not your job. They went through the training. They're putting in the time. It's not your job. It's your job to create a platform 
for people to remember the victims, to get the tips, to put out the information that the investigators give us so that people will call them for the information to solve the cases. So all of these people who are doing podcasts, who it's your dream to solve a case, you are doing it so wrong. I just want to put something out there and correct a few things. Now, copies of email messages um, from the Pahaska Journal of the Capitol obtained through an open records request explained what concerns the district attorney, Mike Fisher, raised with the Osage County Sheriff's Office regarding the possible involvement of the Sheriff's Office personnel in a television series called The Force. The series would involve filming the on-job activities of law enforcement personnel. An email from Fisher to the undersheriff, Gary Upton, shows that the district attorney expressed concerns about film production crew members potentially contaminating crime scenes, about the pre-trial publicity, which would affect a fair and equal trial to those being brought forward for justice, about creation of film footage that might have to be treated as evidence in court cases, about the possibility that film crew members might have to testify in cases, about investigators being focused on their jobs rather than distracted by people following them around and filming them. Yeah, actually solving the cases, not being on TV. Now, they did state that their office may appreciate such publicity, but sometimes that interferes with the ability to obtain a fair and impartial jury. Now, Fisher wrote with regard to pre-trial publicity. Given the population of Osage County, the pre-trial publicity generated from the OCSO being featured in a crime show reduces the number of potential jurors from which they can draw. It would require the prosecution and the court to have to be more careful when they vet any jury panel and also to ensure they have not seen, read, heard about those investigations featured on the show. Also, if it's a more high profile case, it could even potentially cause a trial to have to be moved from the county and it could affect whether or not there would be an ability to be able to obtain a fair jury at all. Now, Fisher did not express any opposition to the OCSO being involved in the program, but he urged caution. Now, while I understand that Gary Upton and Eddie Verdon believe that the publicity generated from the involvement of the OCSO with the force is positive, we have to keep in mind that all of their jobs are to protect the public first. And that's by ensuring that those responsible for crime are brought to justice. 
given the opportunity for a fair and impartial trial. Anything that risks that or compromises their abilities to provide that, it can come at too great of a cost. Now, regarding contamination of crime scenes, I mean, you got to think about that. And they try to say that they're going to take measures by enhancing training, awareness. So they're trying to say, well, we'll minimize all of that. They're willing to put all of that at risk because they really want a film crew there. So you have to think, which is more important? Maintaining the integrity of a crime scene or having a film crew follow somebody around to see that? If you or a loved one has ever been a victim of a violent crime, I'm asking you, what do you see as more important? Having a film crew file, follow these people? Or having your loved one's murderer caught, having them prosecuted, and having them serve time for the crime they committed? One of the other things I found really interesting is that everybody now on this task force keep calling themselves the white hat. We are the white hat um, group. And I find that really interesting because if you've ever studied psychology, there is actually something called the white hat bias. And the white hat bias is a distortion of information in the service of what might be perceived to be righteous ends, in which you cherry pick the evidence and what you're putting out there because you feel like, well, it's going to be for the greater good. I'm going to pick and choose the information I'm putting out there because I'm an ethically good person who has a righteous goal. So I find that extremely interesting. I want to end on just one more part. And again, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm attacking the task force, but I feel like everything out there is so one-sided. It is all the trauma and this, this is all going to do a wonderful thing. But if anybody knows the families involved in these cases, they are not going to stand up and kick and scream and yell that's not how these families are. So when I see it, yeah, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to kick. I'm going to yell. And as many of you know, I'm an old lady. But I, I can't stand by and not say anything. But I want to bring up a post that Carrie Rawson had posted on March 30th, in which she stated, my father Dennis Rader, I'm reading from it verbatim. My father, Dennis Rader, otherwise known as a serial killer, BTK, has been questioned again in 1976 missing cold Oklahoma case of Synthony Don Kenny. I told Fox News Digital, I do not believe the Kenny case fits the distinct patterns of my father's other murders. 
which involved stalking his victims, home invasion attacks, and taking trophies. I have no knowledge of Dad having reason to be in Oklahoma in June 1976. While it is my hope and prayer this missing person cold case gets solved for the family and friends of Kenny, in no way do I believe my father is connected. In fact, I believe he's telling the truth on this, as he has done since 2005 on the 10 he did commit. Then on April 1st, again by Carrie Rawson, my father, Dennis Rader, otherwise known as the serial killer BTK. Boy, she likes saying that. Lays out alibi amid new questioning over 1976 Oklahoma cold case. From my wealth of knowledge and extensive research of my father's crimes, timeline, knowing him well from what I know of this ongoing investigation, I believe my father. My father, as far as we know, has spoken the truth on the 10 murders he did commit since 2005. As a kid of an infamous criminal, ever spoken up to defend their parent on new accusations while clearly stating that their parent has been found guilty of? In no way, no how, am I defending the indefensible what he has done. I am and We'll speak up for him in this 1976 case. Let the evidence lead. Right now, all this is is mainly stirring up a good deal that doesn't need stirred up and harming families, including mine. It's also taking energy, effort, and time away from actually solving the missing person's case. Do you remember when you said that, Carrie? We have it. If you delete it, we still have it. I think you need to go back to that. I think you made a, some really great points on that post. And you need to be reminded of what you said because you made great points. There's no need to stir it up with misinformation. Now, as I had said before, Carol Solon's loved ones, they gather on December 17th to remember Carol on her birthday. They meet at the same spot Solon's had went missing, and her family members will oftentimes write messages on a small billboard saying happy birthday and she'll never be forgotten, and reminding her that she will still always be with them in her heart, in their hearts. But it's been over 30 years, but they still hold out hope. And to them, their closure is just knowing where her body is. The Cherokee County Sheriff's Office, they also still have Carol Sullins on their minds. Sheriff David Groves had stated it's on the forefront of their minds. And it's the case that they desperately want to provide closure for the family on as well. Sheriff Groves is hopeful as technology advances that it will lead them to Solon's remains. 
They've been working with organizations and they're hoping to get their hands on a piece of equipment that will help them. He's on a waiting list for this piece of new technology on her case. But the waiting list is extremely long. Now, they're hoping it's coming soon and that they will be able to find her remains. But as they've been waiting, all of this drama has gotten stirred up by the BTK task force. As you can see, there is no doubt, there is no questions, there is no concerns, there is no luminous, looming shadow over the Sullins case. Law enforcement and family have been working hard and working together. Carol Sullins was described as a vibrant young woman. Now she was working as an exotic dancer in Galena, but there was no reason to plaster that off everywhere. She was last seen on August 31st, 1991, when she was taking a break from work. She was in the parking lot of the Valley of the Dolls Exotic Nightclub, which was at 7th Street, just on the west edge of town. And this is according to the Department of Justice. She was speaking with a man beside his pickup truck. It had a camper shell on it. Now, in exchange for testimony in the case, Don Davis, he revealed in court in the fall of 2001, Don Davis, he was the one, he was in the truck and he drove Carol and a man named Donald Kidwell from the nightclub to a remote area. He said Kidwell left with Solens, and then he returned to the truck without her. Her purse and all of her other personal items, they were left behind at the venue. According to court reports and investigators, they believe that Carol died of a drug overdose and her body was hidden out in those woods. Now, Kidwell, he's from Pitcher, Oklahoma, and he pled guilty in the spring of 2002 to battery and interference with law enforcement in connection to his role in Solon's disappearance. April 2006, a report with the Joplin Globe, Kidwell was charged with second-degree murder in connection with Carol's death. But... It was due to that plea agreement as to why it was led with lesser charges. They did that with the hope of finding Carol's body, but they still haven't been able to find her. He was sentenced to only 18 months in jail. Davis, he since passed away. Now, the family of Carol Sullins they have suffered for far too long with grief and agony over not being able to properly lay Carol to rest. They know that there are people out there who might know where Carol's body is located. And there is a $30,000 reward for anybody who can locate her remains. A private source is, offer, is offering the reward and a Facebook page also honors Carol's life and story. If someone has specific 
information related to Carol's whereabouts, they can contact the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office at 620-429-3992 or 620-848-3000. You can also visit the agency website at www.cherokeecountyksheriff.com or by texting 888-777. Just type tip Cherokee followed by the specific information they wish to provide. Again, as we have said, we're just wanting the family of Carol Solons to be able to put Carol to rest. They know what happened. The people who have committed the crime are behind bars. One has passed away. The sheriff are offering a reward for anybody who can lead to the discovery of her remains. If anyone sees the misinformation that the BTK task force might be using as propaganda on other podcasts, YouTube channels in regards to this case or other cases, I encourage you to instead put the information for the Cherokee County, Kansas Sheriff's Department on there and let people talk to the people who have the right information. There is no cover up on this case. There are no other facts to be known. Something that you might wanna know, Carol was also known as Barbie or Squirt and she was loved deeply by her family. They want the truth out there and they want to lay her to rest. That's all they want. Thanks for listening.